This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, we discuss the middle third of Michael Crichton's 1990 techno thriller, Jurassic Park. Back in the park, we're going to do third and fourth iterations this week, which is an exciting bit of the book here. It's got some of my favorite parts from the story in it, so it was a lot of fun to really dive into the the meat of this story after the beginning last week. So I thought we'd uh, get right into the summary again, if that's cool with you. Yeah, let's get into it. All right, so last we left them, they they had just gotten to the park, um, and they were on their way to the visitor center. And when they're on their way there, they start having this debate about whether dinosaurs are warm-blooded versus cold-blooded, which I did a little bit of little bit of research into, and that's a debate that's still going on today. Like, it hasn't really been determined. Um, probably can't be. You know what I mean? Just from from the fossil record. I don't know. Did you, did you do you know anything about this? I, I know it's gone back and forth, and like there's like I mean even in the book here it talks about how like cold-blooded like to stay like to stay close to the ground and the fact that dinosaurs stood on hind legs and were you know farther away from yeah. the surfaces kind of led people to believe that maybe they weren't cold-blooded right right and and so it's I think that was the prevalent thinking at the time but I, I've read that nowadays there's some talk about maybe that dynamic of warm versus cold-blooded isn't actually accurate and that there could be a version of quote-unquote cold-bloodedness that accounts for some of these differences and how they behaved um, like a like a in-between area it sounds like maybe they, they they found that it could be a little more nuanced than just kind of this like it's either this or that right um so i don't know you know i'm, I'm not a scientist so i can't really break down all the reasons but it's interesting that this is still something that's going on today um but yeah in this moment grant thinks that paleontology is basically over um which has to be kind of a crazy thought yeah, as a paleontologist right like my job is done mm-hmm. i'm sure he can transition into dinosaur researcher really quickly though <laughs> right right yeah but so on their way in ellie notices that there's poisonous plants out by the poolside which is very similar to something that happens in the movie she notices bars on the windows and fence making the visitor center into kind of a fortress which I thought was just a cool tension builder on Michael Crichton's part, because when you see all these like bars that have been added later, you immediately think like what happened that caused them to have to add this when they weren't expecting to have to. Right. Yeah. So once they get into the visitor center, they start talking about, and I thought this was interesting. I wasn't expecting this. Um, They bring up the attacks on the children in the surrounding area areas, uh, you know, by this mystery dinosaur and Malcolm, Malcolm asserts that, yeah, the dinosaurs have obviously gotten off the island. And I thought, like, they were being really, like, ignorant because, <laughs> like, they're like, nah, I don't think that's it's some other animal. It's some other dinosaur. <laughs> like, well, it's if like, there's dinosaurs in the surrounding islands, come on. Like, that's not a coincidence. That is clearly something from the island. But they have, like, hubris, right? Yeah, we get more of Hammond's, like, reluctance to admit that anything's wrong. And he's just, like, so blinded by this park yeah, and he's what he wants to complete, get done yeah 
for sure. So the grand uh, the grandchildren arrive, and uh, I, I, for a second I thought that it was actually going to be Gennaro's children that Hammond had like. I was I was like oh shit, but then no, it, it's it's his it is uh, Hammond's grandchildren, um, and Gennaro's just upset that there are children. Period. I thought he had like surprise. Your children are actually here, and I was gonna be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. I don't know. It might have been interesting, but the grandchildren's another good angle, I guess. You know, it's um, especially because it gives us insight into Hammond as a character. So they flip the ages from the book or from the movie, I guess. So I guess the movie flips the ages from the book. There's Alexis, who is known as Lex throughout the book, and she is younger now. She's seven or eight, and Timmy is actually eleven, the old like the older brother. And it seems like he's basically given all of the character from the movies. Like, it's all him. And Lex is, I, I think, unfortunately, um, relegated to just being kind of a hindrance and, and yeah. like, a drag on everything um, and, and a danger. I agree. I was going to mention that I felt like she, yeah, and this she's just supposed to seem like an annoying younger sister. And I thought it was a good choice to, to give her more to do and, like, make her, a, a, like, a more important character in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I have to, I have to call out another line here that that drew atten- drew my attention because of it was weird. Um, so, so this is when we first meet her, and it's we're in Tim's, we're kind of in Tim's POV. Although I, this, um, this book is written in a, you know, what they call an omniscient POV, and that it it is really more of like kind of a bird's eye view that's that then sometimes zooms down and gets internal thoughts, but head hops quite a bit right within the scene sometimes you'll get multiple characters thoughts and so that's considered an omniscient point of view so while they're while they're introducing her it said alexis put her hands on her hips copying her mother's most irritating stance and that line jumped out at me because i don't know whose thought that is and it seems to be the omniscient narrator's thought right which is pretty weird because the the narrator's making a judgment about Alexis's mother, who we haven't met, being irritating. It's a weird. It's just a weird line. Like I, I, I feel like um, it was. It was almost like this moment of Michael Crichton let it, like revealing a little bit too much about something he finds irritating with somebody he knows. I thought it was a little weird too. Like I didn't. I mean, I didn't dig into it like you did, but I did. When when that was said, I kind of was like, was that like? It seemed like maybe he Hammond knew like what. She was like, right. but you're like you're saying. It doesn't we make sense in... for Tim to think that at all, right? Because right. he and he also wouldn't think her mother. He would think mom, mom like yeah. he, his mom too, right? So there's this weird, like, detached thought that was also judgmental. I, I don't know, and it's very like adult judgmental. Like I don't think a kid would find that irritating. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, also, Tom is this little di- dino geek. And I thought it was really funny because we had both talked about how we were both this kid, right? Definitely. And so I immediately like feel affection for this kid, and 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 that's something that's in the movie too. Um, and and, and I, I don't know, I just think it was cool because it, it really gives you us an entry point into this book if we didn't already have one, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think I projected. I mean, as a kid, I think I projected myself onto this character a lot, and that's probably what, part of why I you know really dug this dinosaur stuff and started really getting into it around this time. Because like I it could be like I want the experience without all the terror, you know, that the yeah. kid gets to see all these dinosaurs and and hang out with this like dino expert and ask him all the questions and that would that would have been my dream as a kid. So so Grant uh, has this theory, and first off, Grant loves children. He's like, yeah, I love children. They love dinosaurs. I love them. No, none of the conflict from the movie. 
um, which you know shows that it was interesting for Spielberg to introduce that. But we can get into that more in the movie episode. He also has this theory about why kids love dinosaurs. And his theory is that they love their parents um, and their parents are basically giant authority figures and that dinosaurs are also giant authority figures. And by memorizing their names and categorizing them, it's like a way to deal with having to interact with a giant authority figure. It's an interesting theory. And I, I just wanted I wanted to get your take on that, whether or not you agree. Do you think that had anything to do with your love of dinosaurs? I think as a kid, I'm just into creatures. Like, you know what I mean? I think that part of it was just that, like, they, there were these awesome-looking creatures that walked the earth that we can't see anymore, and they were so big. Like, the size of them definitely is something that I think uh, you're drawn to as a kid. But, yeah, I, like, the the lens that he was looking through, it, I, I never really thought of it like that before. But the idea that, like, maybe learning all these long, complicated names that, you know, a lot of adults struggle with saying, I think kids are into that kind of thing, like, knowledge and, and like, seeking that kind of... I guess, power over the creatures, like he was saying. But I, I never really drew that before. What about you? Yeah, you know, I, I think I come down in a similar place as you. Like, I, I, I mean, it might be true. And, and he's talking about subconscious things anyway. It's not like he's he thinks that kids are sitting there going, oh, yeah, this is just like my parents. It's a subconscious, you know, thing. But I agree. To me, it was like, I love dragons, too. I loved, you know, fantasy creatures of all kinds. What was cool about dinosaurs was that they were real. And so immediately it was like, oh, my God, a real dragon, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. A real creature that isn't in around anymore, but it used to be here. And so then you could have the kind of fun, imaginative moment of imagining what it would have been like to see one and picturing it and, and, and just seeing how immense it is. And so, yeah, I think to me it was more imaginative. And the, the fact that it was linked to reality made it really cool and made it like, yeah, it made it fun to learn about. But I agree there was something, too, about having knowledge that maybe adults didn't have. So next up, we meet John Arnold and Robert Muldoon, um, which briefly are interesting. John Arnold is a, is a chain smoker. He's kind of a chief engineer. And there's some interesting, you know, carryovers with him from the movie. And, or things that get carried over. Uh, Muldoon, similar, like he's a little different, but basically the same character we see in the movie. Um, we also meet Henry Wu, who's who's the chief geneticist. Um, and he actually is kind of an important character, more important character in the book, I would say, than, than the movie. Like we get more of him at least. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's just because so much of the science and, and like the idea behind what goes on is explained in the book. Yeah, there's some interesting debates between him and Hammond that mm -hmm. I think are are kind of cool, like kind of philosophical almost debates. Yeah, and like getting his backstory and like what, why he's doing the stuff he does makes a lot of sense. Whereas like when you see the movie, you're kind of just like, why would this guy agree to do this? Right. So Wu tells Grant about the amber and that there's this whole reveal about how they get the um, dinosaur DNA, but I don't think we need to talk about it too much because it's really well explained in the famous movie. They go on and um, they get into this hatchery where there are these eggs in this mist. Um, we found out that the survival rate is only 0.4%, and there's 238 animals. So I was like, if you do the math, it's bad. <laughs> like there's been a lot of dead, a lot of dead dinosaurs in, in getting this park together. And I'm glad that that this was like more. I mean, I don't not that it would be scientifically accurate, but it's like you know you could see something like this having that low of odds. I'm glad he wasn't sure. like, yeah, we have like a 20% chance of it. Yeah, it's something that um, I think raises some interesting because I think that it's so low to me that it um it, it it definitely appeals to your ethical like even if you're like you know a mediator and you don't like you know what i mean you're not like a particularly environmentally minded person mm -hmm. 
still 0.4% means there's a lot of like, you know, malformed creatures that don't survive past infancy. And I don't know, I think ethically like that, that's got to at least be something you think about. Not to mention all the resources you're wasting to try to get this stuff done at such a low rate, and yeah. but like like you said, I mean you you have to live with the fact that you're you're not you're ki- effectively killing these creatures. Yeah, you're, you're creating a lot of short, miserable lives. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess you have to you just have to not care and 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 pursue the you know pursue the science. So in the next room, we uh, there's a baby raptor, and this is <laughs> an interesting scene. It's like cute basically, and Tim befriends it. And it literally jumps up in his in his arms. He's petting it. It's making all these cute noises. Uh, we learn about how all of the dinosaurs in the park are female, and the reason being that it's easier to clone a female, basically, because of the chromosomes, um, and you don't have to introduce a Y chromosome, uh, which I think is a nice way to explain what is actually a pretty convenient situation, mm-hmm. because if they were all male... There wouldn't be a problem here, right? Like, I, I wouldn't think. Although maybe there could still be someone, like, maybe they could still spontaneously become female, like, like if the amphibian DNA. But it seems like the, the fact that they're all female inherently induces a little bit of a danger there. Yeah. It, it's well explained because, like they said in the book, everyone starts, everything starts out as a female. That it would make sense for it to be easier. Yeah, it makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is why they call the T-Rex a him. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Did you get that? When, when they call him a him here or just throughout? They say that, yeah, the, throughout, and they say it here. They say, oh yeah, all of our dinosaurs are female, but we refer to the T Rex as a him for no reason that I can tell. <laughs> they just do. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> Some like baked in sexism is all I can imagine. I like, think so. Oh, yeah. he's big and scary, so let's call him a him. Right. Like, I I don't get it, man. I don't know. I don't know why you do that. And I'm and I don't think that's a thing in the movie. So anyway, that was weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the raptor is like being all cute and snuggly, and then Grant comes up and starts like twisting its limbs around and making it scream in a very ungrant like moment to me like this did not feel like the character i knew um but he's maybe he's a lot more just like scientific or something in, in this and and not used to dealing with live animals maybe yeah but i felt like it was yeah. cool to see him being like inquisitive and and like trying to figure it out out like how these animals were obviously i don't think he felt good about the fact that he, he wasn't like getting joy in the fact that he was doing it but i think he well, wanted he to was know like, the reaction he was like he was ignoring the sounds it was making and he was ignoring everyone telling him like hey stop doing that and he just like kept doing it I think he just had a theory in his mind and he wanted to like see if it was true or not. But yeah, I can, I can, he's definitely like abusing an animal. So it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he's making an enemy here because that raptor's going to grow up and remember that. So, <laughs> oh, there's, we hear about the, um, I can't ever remember the names of those little dinosaurs that have escaped, but basically that they have been bred to eat the feces of like larger and larger dinosaurs, which I don't know. It's, it's like kind of a cool explanation. Like it's like a problem because there's just like so much shit everywhere. Yeah. Um, it's a different kind of shit joke, but it is basically still kind of a shit joke that we, you know, um, and it, it's it. But it's like legit because it would be a problem, too. Yeah. Like I get it. So they get the DNA from the amber to bring some of these things back. And a little bit later, we see a, a dra- like a big dragonfly. Which they oh, yeah. apparently engineered that as well. Yeah, it's just like a throwaway thing, but that seems like kind of a big deal. You're you're so, breeding six six foot wingspan dragonflies, right? So so if they're doing that, couldn't they create the you know the the what the dung beetle or whatever it was at the time that 
dealt right. with the you know the shit of the dinosaurs or i don't know yeah but why not do another dinosaur if you're if you're gonna do it i right? guess yeah. that's the whole thing you're doing here <laughs> um they also talk about the lysine dependency which is something that is in the movie um and how they're supposed to die out within 24 hours if they don't get a pill so around this time they go to the uh raptor holding pen and and um it's an interesting thing where like the raptors attack the fence stare scaring everyone they're really fast they see how f- high they can jump um, it's a good bit of foreshadowing. Uh, we we learn about their ambush tactics. Uh, they're fast as a cheetah. They have like the lash, like the lunging ability of a mongoose. They're very bird like. Uh, all this stuff, right? It was cool because we got to we got to see other theories of Grant. I like to see his theories come true and like the the things that he thinks because he was he was one of the people who who had assumed that that dinosaurs like I guess at the time it was kind of known that the dinosaurs were like lumbering and slow moving. And like some of these things were, were, and I think that had something to do with the cold blooded nature, the theory that like they were more slow moving and his theory of, of faster, more bird like, yeah, you know, animals uh, started to come true. And I think it's cool to just like, I like that he's our main character and we're getting all these theories tested. Yeah. And it makes better, it makes better narrative sense to have them be like this. (laughs) Otherwise they're not very frightening, right? If they're slow moving. So next we get Hammond and Wu talking, and Wu wants to go to version 4.4. He's talking about like an updated version of these dinosaurs, and, and he refers to them almost like like updates, right, to a computer software. And this is the first we've really heard about and talked like this, so it's, it's interesting. And um, his whole thing is he wants to breed more domesticated and like docile versions to meet the expectations of tourists who would come to the island. And Hammond does not want this. Um, he feels like they they have a they have like a obligation to try and be as truthful to what dinosaurs really were. And Wu doesn't get it because he says the things we've created here aren't basically aren't really dinosaurs anyway. They're something else that we've created. So we might as well tweak them. And it felt to me like he was being set up as the potential person to be like he's the only other person that I think a reader could forgivably think might be the traitor because we don't know right at this point that it's Nedry. Right. So we, we see that he's also dissatisfied. Well, maybe we get a little bit of that from Ed Regis, too, where they're um, dissatisfied with the company. and and um, But, and he starts talking about Phase 2. This also, to me, sets up the franchise, the Jurassic Park franchise, because this is what a lot of the future movies are about, right? Yeah. Like the idea that Wu wants to create something new and and do, like I, I you know that's not unique to Jurassic World like that's introduced right here. Yeah, well, it's a different. Like he wants to do something more docile, but that's why he's. It's like the jumping off point that that they you know came up with for Jurassic World. So like the the interaction between Wu and and Hammond is really interesting because uh, he kind of has he kind of like lords over the fact that he plucked him out of college and basically convinced him that like if he wanted to go work in a lab, it would take him like 10 to 20 years to make anything worthy of, of what's, what he's potentially doing. And he's like, but if you come work for a private company like me, I'll give you all the resources that you could ever want. And no, you know, no board of trustees that you have to go through. No, no bureaucratic red tape or anything like that. So he kind of lords that yeah. over him and that's how he like manipulates Wu into, into doing whatever he wants. And, and because Wu ultimately like is invested in the fact that like, he wants to create these these dinosaurs. Yeah, and he's he wants to get renown. It seems like cause he keeps he keeps stressing like, is it, am I going to be able to publish my materials? 
So we, we also learn about the way the security cameras work here and how there's like motion detectors that keep track of all the dinosaurs um, and, and updates every 30 seconds and it, it tracks them all over the park. It's all very high tech. Um, I think it's cool because it sets up like in your and to me as a reader, I'm like, OK, they thought of a lot of they've thought a lot of this stuff. How is this going to go bad? Because it seems like they have it all under control. Right. Mm-hmm. Which it makes the you know impending disaster kind of like loom even larger because, you know, it's going to come. But right. you're like, man, it seems like they really got their shit together. So there's also mention of a jungle river ride and an aviary lodge, which uh, thing, which both remind me of like. I think it's Jurassic Park three. The aviaries, yeah, Jurassic Park three. Yeah. yeah, some more, some more of the stuff that got pulled into different movies, right? Yeah, it's it's really cool. And uh, what's funny so far is that through this entire story, I remembered it being a lot more different than the book. Like I remember, or sorry, than the film. I remembered this book having a lot more differences. And so far, it's been basically like beat for beat, almost the same exact thing as the movie, right? Well, I guess. Yeah, very close. Um, they also describe blue logos for the Jurassic Park um, symbol, which made me think of the new Jurassic World logo, which is actually blue instead of red. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that was like they pulled that out of the book, you know. Uh, anyway, so they set off on the tour, and they're in the cars. Welcome to Jurassic Park. It's, you know, guy talking like an automated thing. Again, automated tour. Um, these cars drive themselves. Cool detail. Uh, they see different kinds of dinosaurs. They start out seeing these, like, uh, ones that are in trees and just like herbivores eating, you know, beside a river and stuff. Uh, Tim's a little bit bored by them though. He wants them to do more. That didn't quite strike me as being realistic. I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I'd believe that the first time you see a giant dinosaur, if, even if it's not doing much, that you would just be bored. I don't know. That almost seems like a contrivance for me, but maybe some kid would be. Uh, yeah, you'd be in all. I would have been thinking it was yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> Now maybe maybe like the fifth time you go on the tour or something, but that first time I think I'd be pretty I'd be pretty awestruck. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Hammond and Arnold and Muldoon are all watching the tour back in back in control room, um, and we learned this the first ever time they've run this tour basically with a people in it. Uh, how Arnold was a was an engineer who worked on Disney World and a bunch of other parks, so he really knows like how to run a park. Um, like an amusement park, basically. Yeah, the the he, specifically the Orlando, Florida. Walt Disney World shout out was interesting to me <laughs> because I, you know, I frequent there pretty yeah. often. So it's kind of yeah. cool to hear so, that little Orlando so, Florida shout out. So, so are you Arnold in this story? <laughs> 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 so uh, he Arnold's worried about bugs. Um, he, he He's worried about bugs in their system and bugs in the rikes. He knows that there's always things that go wrong. Hammond very much downplays all of this. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they also offhandedly mo- uh, mentioned that Muldoon is worried about the dinosaurs, or sorry, the raptors, because the raptors are the most vicious animals like anyone has ever seen, and he believes that they should be destroyed. And um, once again, Hammond is like, "Nah, this, though, it's going to be fine." Um, they all seem to believe that the animals are going to like train to their environment and get used to being in a park, like uh, you know other animals do. Yeah. Um, so w- when you're like chief. Uh, park warden is telling you these are the most vicious dangerous animals i've ever seen they should be destroyed like you maybe want to listen to them i don't know yeah i love how much they build up the raptors um it's it's just like like you've said before about this book it's like classic thriller but it it's they set it up in such a way where like you you just are anticipating the raptors showing up so much and like there's a moment here soon where you're just like oh fuck 
<laughs> yeah. With the raptors specifically. So they, they come across the Dilophosaur, which has the curving crest on the head. We find out that they're poisonous. Uh, they secrete stuff from their mouth and they can spit. Uh, we see some Triceratops, so forth. They keep going on this tour, right? And Bor- Tim, again, is getting bored by what he's seeing, which just makes me want to throttle him a little bit because I'm like, you're saying dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> <Be> I happy. <laughs> I think he's like fascinated. In the, I think in the movie, he's fascinated yeah. and the sister's bored. No. Well, in the movie, they don't see much on the tour, which I thought was a brilliant. It's a brilliant move by Spielberg because it really builds anticipation. Remember, because they keep going to like play- paddocks and they keep looking for the dinosaurs and they can't see- find them. Right. Um, whereas here they do see them every time they see the thing that's supposed to be there. That's true. Yeah. Um, so they next they do get to the T-Rex paddock and uh, they, 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 they this is a prime example of it being different. Um, they put the goat up on a, on a, you know, appears on a chain and they watch as the Rex, you know, shows up and, and eats the thing. And there's a cool moment where they realize they're looking too low. I think it's Grant, and he's like, "I need to be looking at, like that, like the tree level." And he looks up, and then he sees this head like among the trees, which is like a cool, cool description, right? It's so fascinating to think about how massive these creatures were too. Like, can you, it's like a building the size yeah. of a building. It's standing over you. So, uh, yeah, as they watch, it eats the goat, and 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 that like that's like a big moment for everybody. It's like, oh wow, and yeah, we get withheld that in the movie. Um, this this scene. I'm going to try not to talk too much about the movie version because I think this is a something that I want to talk to you extensively about, giving you a heads up. Like I want to understand this scene and and what makes it so iconic because to me the scene we're about to get of the of the T-Rex escaping is one of the most iconic scenes in all of film. And I would argue. Right. And and I want to I want to like understand why it is. So that's going to be my, my my task for you, James, to explain it to me. I have so many thoughts. I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm having a hard time keeping my mouth shut right now. So okay, so that's on. movie episode though. Let's let's talk about what happens in the book. So Muldoon goes down to the armaments room and he has a missile launcher down there <laughs> that he's ordered. Um, it has like it fires two missiles, I guess, and he gets it out and he puts it in the jeep. Um, I guess to like have it ready. I don't know. Seems a little bit irresponsible. You got a missile launcher just gonna leave it on the in the in the like backseat of the jeep. Yeah, I mean, um, I I think it's good that he has it, but yeah, he's kind of irresponsible with it. Like he's like, re- I I don't know. Keep it on your back or something, man. Just walk around with it. <laughs> yeah. So the 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 tour goes on, and Tim sees a raptor out in the field, just like running somewhere it's not supposed to be. Um, that's not supposed to happen right. again. Again. Oh fuck! Like th- these are just like it's, it's just building and building and like. Yeah, and and everyone like is like, no, there's no way that's impossible. You know, can't you couldn't have possibly see that? But we know we're like, oh yeah, he definitely did. And it's Tim, so um, like he knows what a raptor looks like. You know, right? Just we know that he exactly. Um, oh yeah, Hammond is frustrated that they're not like feeling the wonder of the park um, in this moment, and, and and I I think this is better explained in the movie because they literally aren't seeing anything in the movie, which is frustrating because then they're not feeling the wonder, which makes sense. Whereas to me, them not feeling the wonder is kind of weird because dinosaurs well it's i think it's because he wants them to be like they're all like afraid and they keep saying like this is gonna go wrong this is gonna go wrong and they're picking it apart and he's like i just want them to be like so excited to see this stuff yeah uh so the next they come to the stegosaurus which is basically what the triceratops was in the movie is sick they come and they're they're looking at its tongue um ellie sattler thinks that, that it's getting poison from eating this lilacs um, this you know poisonous lilac, but then the vet says no, that's not you know that's not happening. 
Um, the vet, his name's like Harding, I think. Um, he actually ends up being a bit more of a character in this than he is in, in the movie. Uh, Malcolm says that he, like his, his, I don't know. It feels a lot like he's taking credit for shit when, when he like, really shouldn't be. But he's like, yeah, sickness is totally predicted by my algorithms or whatever, like my chaos theory. Well, like I, I it, really predict res- anything. <laughs> exactly. I respect the, you know, chaos theory argument. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, you can't be like, oh, my theory called this because it's like, it calls everything. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it well, effectively and is I just think like, that that point is, is pointed out by Arnold later. And I thought like was a pretty was a pretty valid like takedown of chaos theory, um, which I like to see that kind of like the other side being proposed. Although the book does feel very strongly like it supports Malcolm, right? Oh, Malcolm also then gives the life finds a way speech, which is word for word from the book, basically, right? Yeah, that was pre- that's 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 cool to yeah. see. It, it, yeah, it really is like nearly exactly the same. Yeah, like, I just want to give props to Crichton, right? Because that's an iconic part of that movie. And he wrote that in the book, right, word for word. Well, yeah. I mean, I was saying it a second ago. I was, I, 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 I mean, I remember when I read this, I walked away being like, "Wow, that was that was pretty different from the from the movie." But now that I'm rereading it, it's like he wrote all this stuff, and Steven Spielberg just, I mean, amazingly put it on screen. But like he put just put all of Crichton's stuff on screen, and it works so well. Yeah, while they're while they're the, uh, looking at the Stegosaurus stuff, Grant finds basically a egg uh, fragment and says it's a raptor egg. And that's like, oh, shit moment. And this is like this weird part where Malcolm tells them to like increase their search parameters. And the computer finds um, 292 animals instead of 238. And it's something weird where it was like they had input the number that they were expecting to find. So the computer was only finding that amount and then stop like would stop looking. Seems like a pretty huge oversight and like a weird technical like weird technicality to, to screw up. Um, so I'm kind of glad this isn't in the movie because it's, I don't know, with the explanation, I just barely buy it, but I feel like it would take way too long to explain. Yeah. Uh, once again, Lex, if you, if Tim is, Tim being bored is frustrating. Lex being like super bored is incredibly frustrating to me. She's just like, couldn't care less about everything. Oh, there's, there's like raptors loose in the park that shouldn't be. We just saw T-Rex eat a goat. Like, I'm bored. I'm hungry. Take me back. I want to play fetch. I'd rather play fetch when there's a stegosaurus, like, right there. Like, <laughs> it's almost, like, unbelievable how much she just doesn't care. So then we're, we're, we get uh, Tim in the first car with the night vision, right? Um, oh, so Ellie wants to stay with the vet. So she stays with, with Harding, and Gennaro stays, too. And, the, the th- and, and, and Grant says something about, like, yeah, this wouldn't be the first time. It has something to do with Ellie. And we, so we get the implication that Gennaro is staying because he wants to, like, be around Ellie more because um, she's so hot. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And Malcolm and Grant are in one car, and Tim and Lex are in the other with Gennaro. No, sorry, Ed Regis. <laughs> Mix, mixing up movie and, 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 and book. Ed Regis stays in the car with them. Because Gennaro is really different in the in the book than he is in the movie. Um, in fact, Ed Regis is kind of more the Gennaro character we get in the movie. Well, I so Mal- um, yeah. I think Gennaro is. I think they they kind of combine the character, right? Well, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like Gennaro, Gennaro is the lawyer in the movie, but he's also the like cowardly guy who's in the car with the kids, right? Which is Ed Regis in the book, exactly. So yeah, it's a com- he's a comp. It's like a combination of them. Whereas Gennaro in the in the book to me feels a little bit like more brave, right? Mm-hmm. So Malcolm has like a deep gut feeling that something unpredictable is going to happen. <laughs> Which when a chaos theory when a chaos theory famous mathematician looks at you and goes something unpredictable is going to happen, I would just roll my eyes. Like you like, think you say that every day. Yeah. 
you think? <laughs> but he's right, of course. So right before this, though, they, they this is an interesting moment. So wherever they're at, they can somehow see the dock. Like, they're, like, way up, I guess, elevation. They can see the dock, and they can see a boat. And with, like, Tim's, you know, child vision, which is more, you know, is better than, like, adult vision. Was he wearing the he night spots, vision at this point? I don't think so. I think he just spots it with his naked eye. He sees these... Um, he says there's there's dinosaurs on the boat, and so they all look. And Grant, you know, sees that there are two dinosaurs playing on the boat um, that's going to go to the mainland, like in a few hours. I think so we're they're like, oh shit, we need to get in contact with them and tell them about this. But then the phones are dead at this point, right? Yeah, and I think they're raptors, and, right? Yeah, they're raptors, right? There's two raptors on the boat, and so that's like an oh shit moment, right? Like they're going to go to the island. So around you know around this time, Nedry has gone to get his coke, and he says, "Don't touch my console." And he's he's initiated whatever um, white rabbit bug uh, virus basically thing that that is like breaking everything. He's got a pretty pretty bold plan. He has it's interesting too because it's it's different than the movie. So his plan is basically to take the embryos that he steals to the dock, drop them off, come back, and fix everything before anyone realizes it was him. Right. Which seems like, woo, level of difficulty is like way higher here. In the movie, at least seems like I think he was just going to get like get the fuck out of Dodge, like mm-hmm. right and like leave. And even though they're going to know it was him, they're not going to be able to like do anything about it because he'll be long gone. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting because it's like I, I've always thought this was his plan and all this stuff is, is really genius because even though, you know, he's trying to get away with this dinosaur DNA, you are like pulling for him. You're like, oh, I hope he gets off the All right. In the book, you're like, I hope he gets there so that he makes it back to turn all the gates and everything back on to help all the characters right. you care about. Right. It is interesting to think that his plan in the book, at least, doesn't seem to be like, fuck all these people that I'm going to leave them to po- possibly die. Right. Like right. he just thinks that the he's going to turn the fences off for a little bit. Nothing bad's going to happen, you know, obviously naively. But I think in the movie, we get an implication of more like, yeah, fuck all these people. I'm going to let them get eaten yeah. and I'm out of here. Well, it's just so crazy because, I mean, obviously it's written this way. But if you think about it, like if it was, the storm wasn't there and everything, like there's a potential that he could have got there and got back. Nothing bad would have happened. And, you know, everything would have been fine. And then we wouldn't have the book. Well, yeah, although immediately I think the T Rex gets out, so yeah. I think that even if he was able to get there and get back, like at you know, <laughs> bad shit would have still gone down. You're right. Yeah, but you're yeah, right. because it's it like have been as bad. There's so, it's just a domino effect because like the the gate goes down and then I think like the people in the cars kind of like the, I don't think the T Rex would have come out of the enclosure unless the people in the cars would have because they like get out right. Well, that's an interesting question because they do say like why would these animals all of a sudden go to the electric fences because they've learned they're electrified and not to touch them. And I totally buy that because like animals don't just keep, you know, hitting electric fences. They normally get shocked once or twice and then they stay away. Yeah. They, they learn. Well, I will say they said that the raptors don't care about getting shocked though. Yeah, I don't know that they say that in the book. It's definitely in the movie, which I think is, is a really smart thing to make us worry about it because they keep attacking and they in the movie, they for sure say the raptors never attack the same place twice which um, they don't say that, but that we do see them attacking even though it's electrified. So there's an implication that they don't care. So yeah, Nedry's like, he's off doing his mission, right? He's Yeah, so Nedry, Nedry goes down and gets into the Jeep and leaves. And right after this, Muldoon goes down to get in his Jeep to go to the cars that are, that are trapped out there that they can't communicate with. And when he goes to get in his Jeep, he sees that it's gone and the launcher is gone. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> 
oh shit, you know, shit's about to go down. We're about to get a Rex. <laughs> um, since this is the end of, of the third iteration, I think now's a good time to stop and tell you about our Patreon page. We, we just launched uh, about a month ago. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, I mean, we actually just this week recorded our second bonus episode, and that's going to be coming out really soon. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a fun conversation. We we got into um, some casting uh, ideas for Vigo uh, for <laughs> for someone to play Aragorn, who was originally played by Vigo Mortensen, <laughs> um, and and uh, I thought I had a pretty good suggestion. Um, I guess I won't I won't spoil it for our patrons. They can go listen to the episode and and see who I suggest. But uh, I'm pretty proud of that one. I think I think it's a decent one. Yeah, I'm really hoping that you like hit the nail on the head because I'm gonna lose my mind if you did. <laughs> I'll lo- yeah, agree. It would be awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, we also caught up on like adaptation news and other stuff, and and we're gonna try and do those episodes monthly um, around the around the first week of the month as as often as we can at least, um, and 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 release those to our patrons. So um, yeah, I mean, that's something you can get for for for, for helping keeping this thing go going. Um, you know, you don't have to. I mean, this we're gonna keep making these episodes, and you can listen to them for free. Um, you know, no pressure, but if you, if you did want to help us out, um, our, our Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com forward slash ink to film, you can check that out and see what kind of things we're offering. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good way to get invested in this podcast and, 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 and really help it grow and continue to continue to flourish and go new places. We we're trying to bring as much as we can to our patrons and, and we, we just want to interact as much as possible. So we have a, a Facebook group for patrons, right. and we recently had a poll on there about Jaws and the Meg, which were two potentially two potential projects that we were thinking about doing. And um, we w- we went ahead and left it to a poll, left it to a vote for our patrons, and um, ultimately they came out with Jaws. So we're going to be covering Jaws here soon. Yeah, and if you wanna if you wanna get in there and and cast your vote and and affect what uh, what projects we cover in the future, it's a, it's a great way to do it. Yeah. So again, if you wanted to help us out, that's patreon.com forward slash ink to film, and we'd really appreciate it. And thank you again to all of our patrons. Yes, thank you to the patrons. All right, fourth iteration. Tim is looking around with his night goggles, and he starts thinking about how it would be neat if he could see the T Rex, and then he feels this thump. Um, and he looks and a shape darts between the cars, um, which later uh, Grant theorizes was the was the juvenile T- T-Rex. Um, I thought it was. A, um, well, at first I thought it was maybe the maybe the T- like the original T-Rex, the big T-Rex. Um, but then I was like, no, that couldn't be because it was too small. And then I thought maybe it was like a raptor that was just loose. Um, but it was interesting that Grant said that he thought it was the juvenile. Um, which is a, a, another difference we should say from the movie that there's two T-Rexes. One of them's younger and smaller. And we're told that the smaller one doesn't really stick around, like hang around the big one too much. Um, like they're kind of at odds with each other. Yeah, that's definitely, a, that's definitely an interesting difference. And something I guess we should mention is that uh, there's a conversation that happened where they kind of extrapolate out and realize that like some of the, some of the animals are actually being, because of the, famously because of the amphibian dna that they they have threaded into the genes some of them are actually coming out male and female so the park is basically life has found a way and the park is is open for business and (laughs) by open for business i mean that there's going to be a lot more dinosaurs yeah it's business time (laughs) so we we're not really given whether uh tyrannosaurus is you know male or female 
we know that the big one, I believe, is is female, but they refer to it as male. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but I, th- I think they do list that there's only four species later when they do the count that, that seem to be reproducing. And then Wu later confirms that those four species are the ones that were used that used the amphibian DNA and not all not all of the species used it. Um, so, so you would think at some point it would hit a wall, right? Because there's only those four species. Yeah. The raptors are the, are one of the four, though, which are the you know the dangerous ones and that's the ultimate oh fuck moment i think yeah because they and then they they kind of are able to figure out the numbers based on algorithms and movements in the park yeah and they find out that there's a ton of raptors running around and that's that's another reason why you might think that a raptor was jumping on the hood or you know right 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 but it's not and then um quickly this becomes a different story because they uh tim looks up and he sees this big head just like staring at them over the fence and when he looks at when he looks at him, he's got this little arm that's just gripping the fence and holding on to it. And um, in what I thought was a brilliant moment of writing, Ed Regis is just terrified and he pisses himself literally because he's he's seen the mangled bodies of raptors like after raptor attacks in the in the um, park. So he knows what it looks like. And he's just so terrified that he just gets up and runs out of the car and. I mean, they they show this on screen too, but just putting us in that character's mind and 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 seeing him kind of break down, I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, it was believable. Yeah, and I mean, the reason he's that not in his right mind, right? You know, in this moment, so he knows all those things that are going on, and he realizes that the T Rex is gripping the fence that's supposed to be electrified, but it's no longer because right. the power's out. Tim climbs out and shuts the door after after uh, after he runs, and Lex starts screaming, "He left us," which is something that you know makes it to the movie. And yeah, the Rex steps out of its enclosure, basically tramples its own fence. And Grant is telling them over the radio to to lay down and stay as quiet as possible. And uh, the 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 Rex looks into the car with the with the children, and uh, shatters the windshield, kind of slamming into it, bites the spare tire, basically. And then uh, oh, <laughs> it lifts the car in the air in its mouth and shakes it around. Uh, while he's doing this, um, Lex is is knocked unconscious. It seems like, and then she actually falls out of the car at one point and um, into the mud. Oh, the, the all kinds of crazy. Sorry, it gets a little chaotic here. So, so the Rex has also got his tongue like inside the car, like licking around everywhere. Um, and then it seems to like cut itself on the glass, and that that surprises it. And and then and then it kicks over the car, shakes it around in its mouth. And um, I, I remember thinking, like, the reason they didn't do this in the movie is I, I don't think it's possible. Like, it, it, that seems like a slight misjudgment of how big the Rex was compared to a car. Because as big as it is, I don't think it could lift a Jeep in the air in its mouth. It's just too heavy, you know? What are you saying, like, what we know are based on the world of this movie or this book? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you mean? Like, what- I'm saying in real life. A real Rex, I don't think, could lift a Jeep up in its mouth. I think Jeeps are just too heavy. And so what we see in the movie is is more accurate. It's like he can move the Jeep, he can slam into it, he can Flip knock it, it over, yeah. but he can't necessarily pick it up in his mouth like an animal and shake it. Like, it's just it's just too heavy, I think. And and that's what we get in the book, though. Um, and when he does that, um, uh, Lex falls out of the of the Jeep into the mud, like I said, and then the it basically tosses the Jeep into a tree. Um, and that's and that's how, uh, you know, it ends up in there. And we're, it's just an oh shit moment because um, we don't know what happens to these kids. Right. And then we get over to the other car 
and Malcolm and, and, and Grant are in there like going, oh shit, what are we going to do? And they can hear her screaming. And then all of a sudden they don't hear her screaming anymore. And they see the, and they see the Rex like doing something on the ground. And so for a moment I thought, oh shit, does like Lex die in the book? Cause <laughs> I, I didn't know, you know, and right. it, it seems like maybe like, I, I thought Tim is probably fine in the, in, in the, in the Jeep, but I, I was worried that Lex actually dies here. Then it basically just sees the other car, looks at them and starts coming at them. And uh, Malcolm gets out of the car um, for kind of unknown. Like, I wasn't really sure. I think he was trying to run away and he gets out of the car and something. It sounds like it's a similar thing where like it goes to bite him, but like hits him instead with its nose and like launches him through the air. But then later we get like a different description of what happened. So it's a little confusing. And and I think it's because it's from Grant's perspective and he is confused by what's going on. Well, I think um, he definitely does get bit, um, but just not necessarily like. Well, they half. say that later, but I feel like when they describe it in that moment, it doesn't sound like he's getting bit. To me, it sounded like he was just getting knocked through the air. Right. And he goes flying know. and lands with a thud, and you definitely think that he's not okay. Yeah, no, yeah. I was like, oh, maybe he dies here too. I wasn't sure, you know. I really didn't know. Like, maybe Ian Malcolm's dead for the rest of this book. I, I, it could have been. <laughs> he gets like um, thrown into the bushes too. Yeah. And uh, then there's an interesting part where Grant is like just, oh, shit, and he's standing there and he realizes he can just stay still. Well, he's like he's like frozen because he's like so afraid and he's just standing there stock still. But then he notices that the the Rex doesn't seem to see him. And he starts having this theory of like, oh, maybe he can't see me because I'm not moving. Um, And then he gets he basically gets kicked by the (laughs) he gets kicked by the Rex um, or like the Rex kicks the car. I thought the Rex kicked the car into him. But then later he's got like claws. So it seems like the Rex kicks him. Maybe I'm not really sure. I think it hits um, him. Yeah, his tail or is he kicks him or something like that. Yeah, but he doesn't get eaten because the the Rex can't basically can't see him, um, which is something that, that does get brought over into the movie. I think it's interesting that Grant doesn't know this going in because it makes sense. Like, how would you know this? This isn't something you could possibly know from fossil record. Right. So it'd have to be something that they've learned in the park. Yeah. Right. So it would either have to be common knowledge among everybody in the park or it would have to be something that he discovers in the moment, which is what happens in the book. But what we get in the movie is him just knowing it, um, which is a little bit un- unrealistic, I guess. Um, also, it's a weird thing, which I, I think has later been said, like everyone who's looked at it goes, I don't know why this would ever be true. But OK, it, it right. seems to be more of a plot device. Oh, and also it seems to be all anim- all dinosaurs in the in the park or most dinosaurs yeah. in the park, not just the Rex, which in the movie, it's just the Rex has this sp- certain kind of vision. But it's it's interesting because it's like, uh, do they talk about reptiles or birds that that can't see when you? Stand yeah, still? it's like an amphibian thing. They said like the like that some frogs aren't like have this sort of vision, which I don't know how true that is. Um, yeah. And then I guess I was like, oh, maybe you can link it to the frog DNA, but the Rexes aren't any of the ones that are supposed to have the frog DNA. Right. So it's just supposed to be that how their vision works. Um, it seems like a pretty bad, it seems like a pretty huge hindrance as a predator to only be able to see movement. Right. I don't know. And plus there were like scavengers. And so like when they find a carcass on the ground to eat, they can't see it. Is that what you're telling me? I don't know. Right. It's weird. That is weird. Um, but I think it's I think it's almost more of a plot device because otherwise, you know, the, the Rex would be too overpowered. For sure. <laughs> There'd be no surviving it. But also this scene, like we just talked about it and you, you might be wondering, where is uh, Ian and, and, and Grant helping the children out and using the flares and, and, and drawing and like being brave and drawing the Rex away? And I'll, that's not in the book. It doesn't happen. I have thoughts, and we'll talk about it in the movie. Episode. Yeah, and that's that's a pretty big difference, right? That's a huge difference. 
Yep. And and they kind of like, I mean, like, I guess I get that they're scared and they feel like there's nothing they can do, but they really don't do anything, which I, mean, I don't yeah, know. It's not it's as like, heroic. Yeah. They just kind of just watch the other car get attacked and don't do anything. Well, I mean, I don't know. Grant's like talking on the radio and like telling him to do like he's telling Lex like, oh, hide or, or Tim and like hide and don't do and don't make any noise and all this stuff. But, but like other than that, they're not doing anything. Yeah. Unless you have a flare, I don't think you can really do anything to a T-Rex, right? I know, but it's just it's weird to see them try and do nothing. Whereas I feel like the character I don't know the characters we see in the in the movie I think have a lot more realistic response. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get into that in the movie episode. I think I really want to talk about that scene and then in in the movie episode. Yeah. So Harding is preparing to go back with Ellie, and they they the the comms aren't working, and he kind of just dismisses it like oh no no big deal. So they're (laughs) um so they still don't know anything's going on like with with the park. Um, Nedry can't be found, um, and, and then we get we get a flash to, to Nedry opening the fence with his bare hands, which I thought was, like, it's really interesting. Whenever it's like a scene that's exactly what's in the movie, right? Him like literally right. pushing a, a pushing apart a fence that says "Do not touch." You know what I mean? Which right. seems like such a visual thing that I was shocked to see that in the book, but it's there. There's a lot of that. Yeah, I agree. So they're going. He's going to the dock. He's recorded Dodson's conversation. He reveals in the past to protect himself. Um, which I wonder if that comes up in like the Lost World book. If we get to that, I'd be curious to see if that is that somehow a plot point because there's this recording out there now that exists. Yes. And he can't find the dock, just like the movie. Um, he he actually stops just shy of hitting a barrier, and then he feels like he's gotten out of he he's taken a wrong turn. And he actually just gets out of his car, I think, to like get his bearings and look around. And then while he's out there, he hears this like hooting sound, very much like the movie, except for without the um maybe his like patronizing tone that he uses in the movie um he he gets uh he gets attacked by one of the um the poison spitters and it blinds him and then um really kind of visceral thing where it like slices open his belly and he feels his own intestines and then he feels yeah and then he feels like dinosaur biting his head right which i was like that's a crazy like it's like a crazy and he just like wants it to end and then like that's the end of that section that's my favorite death of the of the book for sure as As intense um so then we get woo and and hammond at dinner and i just love that like we keep seeing hammond multiple times he's just sitting there eating ice cream yeah and it's very much this like um Almost like uh, was it Nero playing the violin while Rome burns or whatever? It's it's he's very disconnected from what's happening and he's just yeah. sitting there eating his ice cream and enjoying himself and and he's 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 like downplaying everything that's going wrong and he's downplaying everybody's concerns. He doesn't want to believe it, right? And his main worry right now is that he won't see he won't get to live he won't live to see children enjoying his park. And he seems like he's almost off in this like fairy land where like everything's going to be fine, right? Now, some of this he doesn't know what's going on yet, but he also has had some of it told to him. So it's just, I don't know, the juxtaposition of what's going on. And we know the violence. We know people are dying. And then him sitting there just enjoying his ice cream and, and talking about his plans, his dreams for this park. is It's, it's pretty it's pretty good. I don't know. It's, it's pretty good writing. It's great. Yeah. He he can't be bothered. He's just like, you know, like if it's not happening to him, it doesn't matter. And, and he just wants this park to work. And that's all he cares about. Yeah, well, he doesn't know his grandchildren are in danger yet at this point, but um, it's still just, yeah, just the idea that he's doing this right at this moment is is pretty striking. Um, he also sparked, we, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but he has this like whole thing about um, how pharmaceuticals, um, it's not profitable for them to help mankind and how like government makes, you know, like 
it forces them to have low prices when they could could just charge whatever they wanted. And he's like pro pharmaceutical, like he's pro pharma bro in this conversation right now. Like we should be able to charge whatever we want. We're saving lives. Yeah, um, which is and, uh, really fucking shitty. Really, I mean Hammond in this in this book. Oh my god, not likable at all compared to yeah. Hammond in the movie. And he's not like even charming. Yeah, he's yeah he sucks. He, and he starts talking about, he literally is the exact opposite, is the movie, because they're talking about the the thing and how he wants children to be able to, to see the park, and then he goes, well, maybe the rich children. Yeah. Because he's planning on charging an, like, an insane amount to come to this park. Right. And so, yeah, he's basically just sitting there, count, they're like sitting there, he's like sitting there counting money for this park that he hasn't even, like, hasn't even opened yet, while Wu's like trying to tell him about like the genetic like problems they're having. Oh, so this is when uh, Ellie and Harding are on the way back, and they ca- and they see the little uh, Procom Sidnathid, I think is the name of the the little the little animal uh, the little um, dinosaurs. And they mm-hmm. see them running off, and he thinks like, oh, they must be going to um, some sort of fresh kill, and they decide to follow them in the in the in the jeep. And I was a little frustrated this didn't lead anywhere. Um, it really is just almost like a like puts them off doing something for a little bit longer, delay them finding out what's going on. Well, I think um, th- I liked it because I think the point is that like they're off to go, you know, eat the bodies of the, the stuff that the T-Rex attacked. Sure. No, so that's the like, implication. But, but I, I guess I'm just, I, I thought they were going to actually follow them and find something. Right. But then they get called, which happens later, they get called away. We see Tim and he's in the tree and he's, and he's alive. Um, he's 20 feet up. And oh my God, I could not believe how similar this scene is to the movie. Now, yep. the major difference is Grant isn't there helping him. Which, yeah. once again, Grant not being nearly as heroic. <laughs> um, but he literally is just, like, trying to get... Like, he, he's trying to get out of the thing. He starts climbing down the tree. It starts falling. At one point, it hits the branch above his head where he just was and stops for a moment. Like, like, beat for beat. Mm-hmm. And and it's weird because, like, it's also... a. a I always thought like a um, weirdly cinematic scene in the movie that almost breaks my suspension of disbelief. Yeah. The way this car falls down the tree. Well, the I think I, the only the a big difference is that in the in the movie the the tree is way bigger, right? Like the yeah the, maybe the truck is way way higher. It like yeah. fell off a cliff onto the tree, so it's like yeah. way higher in the air. So instead, he's like twenty feet or whatever. So he's able to get yeah. down on his own. But yeah, I, I agree. Like Grant is less, he's less Indiana Jones in the book. Well, he's not even here right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like in the movie, he's very like, he's got a lot of heroic stuff that he does. And sure. it, you know, usually ends up well for him. Anyway, he escapes the tree, doesn't get crushed by the car. Um, he leaves his watch behind, which becomes important in a minute. Like later, he, um, he sees a stegosaurus, which he throws rocks at to make it leave. Which he was very my... not like Tim, I felt like. I was like, I get that you wanted yeah. to go away. You were just attacked by a T-Rex, but like, you're going to throw rocks at these things that you res- you like so much, and I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's true. It is almost like a weird character moment for him. But I can see it maybe just because he's so frightened at the end right. of the moment. Grant's just nowhere to be found. He goes back over to where the cars were looking for his sister, and he starts calling out for his sister. He doesn't care if, if the Rex is still around because he wants to find her. And he hears whimpering. We get back to it uh, to to where Lex is, and she's in this drainage pipe, shot for shot from the movie, and she's sitting there like crying and just like inconsolable. And um, I thought it was a really, actually, a really cool moment where she says "aminals," pronounces it wrong, mm-hmm. and Lex says she has never done that, or she hasn't done that in years, like since she was like a little little kid, um, which I thought was really cool because it shows this like regression, in, yeah, like because of the fear. 
she's mm-hmm. like regressing to almost an infant. Um, and I don't know. I just thought that was a really cool insight on Crichton's part into like what fear can do to people, especially children. And it's like heartbreaking in that moment. It's really, really cool. So then we cut over to Ed Regis, our uh, our man who ran who ran away. I, I mean, like honestly, everybody ran away in the book, but he ran away the first. He ran away the farthest and first. <laughs> and um, he's laying there and he's feeling all this shame because he knows what he's done, but also like he can barely even remember doing it. Like he just like his body just did it. Um, mm-hmm. And he's like laying there behind between these two boulders, like safe quote unquote and then all of a sudden there's this leech on his face and it's like eating his like not eating his face but like sucking blood from his face and neck and lip and he like tears it off and um this made me think of scenes from like later books i'm sorry later movies um Mm -hmm. i think there's a scene in lost world where like um basically a snake gets a guy killed um and and this reminded me of that a little bit of like 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 his fear of these like things driving him from one situation into a more dangerous situation. Right. Like obviously given the choice, you'd rather face up against the leeches than what happens right now. Yeah. Although in his defense, like like, you do eventually have to leave and, and like, how's he going to know? But yeah, he's doomed and you can just tell he's doomed because karma, (laughs) right? You're like, karma's got (laughs) this guy fucked. He, uh, he, he, he hears this voice, which is interesting too. So he hears a little girl, making some sort of noise and then he goes out and then when he goes back out though all of a sudden he doesn't hear the girl anymore and it's like spooky quiet and i assume that this is he's hearing ellie but it's weird because it's like like um it doesn't really line up with what just happened right yeah i'm like is are we are we supposed to be getting an implication that like raptors are out there making little girl noises are we having like an annihilation moment here (laughs) i think i think there's a little bit of that i think it might be like some something that maybe he thought sounded like a little girl not necessarily that they were imitating too much i don't know so now we now we find grant and um he he encounters tim who has a broken nose clint has uh grant has this claw abrasion what i was talking about earlier um where he got when he got kicked by the rex we learned that they don't want to he, he starts to formulate this plan on how to escape with the children and he doesn't want to go down the road because he feels like the road goes between two fences and he can foresee getting trapped if he, if they encounter the Rex again but where, when they won't be able to get away from it because it'll be between these two fences. Um, I this mm-hmm. is interesting because I don't think we get this explanation in the movie, um, but it does make sense. Like you wouldn't want to be trapped. Yeah. And he also thinks that the juveniles out there and so he also doesn't want to be like trapped between two Rexes and two fences and just be like dead because you can't get anywhere. I I, th- I haven't felt myself a lot like planning how I would get out if I was in their situation a All lot because right. we kind of I feel like we're given more of the layout in the book like you can kind of visualize like where you're at and where you need to go. So while they're getting ready to to to, to kind of follow their plan, they see Ed Regis at the bottom of this hill, and he's hiding, and they just kind of watch, and it's weird because it's like they know it's gonna they know it's gonna go down right. And they see this, the juvenile Rex shows up, which is described as like shuffling, being kind of lanky and like awkward, like a puppy. Ed, Ed's actually like being really still. But then he at the last minute, um, like the, the thing like walks by and then he steps out thinking it's gone. And then it like pounces on him because it's actually it was actually, I guess, hunting him and like tricked him. And mm-hmm. then he tries to scare it off. And this is a little bit of I think of what happens with Nedry in the movie. It's a little bit of him like saying like shoo go away you know leave me alone and like it won't it keeps coming after him um Mm -hmm. so i feel like some of the beats are there from what happens with nedry um and yeah he gets uh he gets killed by this juvenile rex and they and they all watch it (laughs) like lex and tim both see it happen so 
<laughs> yeah, and it almost it like plays with him yeah, too. Like with it's him. like messing with him the whole time. Yeah, um, and th- this is his you know karmic moment, I guess. Um, and this way to just show you like as a writer, I think it's important to think about the reader thinks this is going to happen, right? And karmically, if it happens, it feels just, right? It feels like okay, we're in a just universe where people who are afraid or people who are cowards get their comeuppance. And then that also shows you when an opportunity to where you can subvert that. And um, if that if something if somebody like doesn't get their comeuppance like this, you can pull a George R. R. Martin moment and have a character like this prosper. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in a George R. R. Martin yeah. version of this novel, this guy goes on to 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 be one of the sole survivors, and and you know what I mean? Like it and like walks away. With yeah, money yeah, he walks away rich, and and everything works out for him in the end. Although you can debate about long term whether or not that's true in those books, but. Yeah. Um, in the short term, at least, it's surprising when you see a character like this not get their just desserts. Um, whereas here we get it like right away. Edry just gets killed. So back in control room, um, Ellie and Hart. Well, first Ellie and Harding finally get contacted by Arnold. Um, she there's this really long conversation on the on the mic, which is like all distorted, and Ellie's able to um, decipher it and finds out that they really want them to come back because they need the jeep. Um, so they go back and then this is the moment where we see Hammond screaming at Arnold to get his grandkids back. So, so finally someone's told Hammond what's happened Mm -hmm. and, and, and Arnold starts checking the code line by line or whatever, um, to, to figure out what happened, um, and, and what Nedry did. Yeah. So Muldoon gets the Jeep and he goes out with Gennaro to find the other cars and Ellie and, and Harding stay behind, um, on their way out, they find Edridge's leg. And Muldoon, in, like, weird moment, decides he's going to pick up the leg, walk back to the Jeep with it, and, like, toss it in the back, and they have to find, like, a tarp. Because um, he's just like, oh, we can't leave it out here. Very bizarre moment to me <laughs> um, that you would want to put, like, essentially raw meat in your car with you when you're driving through a, a um, through a dinosaur park. Um, and then also, like, what? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I guess, like, I get the idea you want to, like, be able to bury a person and, like, that's respectful. But in, a, like, a life or death situation like this, it just felt very weird to be yeah. like, yeah, let's put that leg well, in the back. I f- exactly. I think that because I was expecting some sort of attack because there's, you know, a leg nearby, you, you would think that there'd be some creatures around that had just, you know, done that to that leg. Um, so I thought it was weird that they, like, lingered and, like, were hanging out out there. And I think it was Crichton kind of playing with expectations and saying, like, oh, they think the reader will think that there's going to be an attack here, but I'm just going to, like, have them throw to the back. And Yeah, I, don't know, I guess kind of that's true moment. that, in, like, the reader thinks, like, there could be an attack. But, um, yeah, you're right. It's not really played up, you know, like, um, the, the tense, the, like, we never get the feeling that Muldoon is worried at any moment they're going to get attacked. Like, I kind of would have liked to see a right. little bit more of him you know, like looking at the shadows and like being worried that something's going to pop out at them when they're doing this investigation. But we don't really get that. Yeah. They go on and they find the two, they find, well, they find one car and they're like, and it's just like the movie where it's cool because like one car is like perfectly fine and the other one's just missing. And like, I love that moment mm-hmm. in the movie too. It's like, what the fuck happened to the other car? Um, and then they find, they do find the other car and, and Muldoon does like detective work. Like he's, he's like, he's like Legolas meets Sherlock Holmes in this moment. I don't know. Like he's, <laughs> he's doing tracks in the, in the mud. He's also like, he's found this watch and he's deducing things about it, about how like you weren't, you're not going to like take it off unless you're, you're in a safe environment and all this stuff. Like he's pretty cool. I guess like I, I'm, I'm impressed with Muldoon in this moment. He figures out from this watch that at least Tim is alive. And then from the, from the prince, um lex is possibly alive as well and it seems like one of the adults although he does also grant that maybe one of the adults was ed regis who then got killed so he doesn't know for sure 
Um, and then at the end of this, all of a sudden they hear moaning and they found Malcolm. And I was like, yeah, Malcolm's not dead. Because even though he's, he's different in the, in the book, I do like him in the book, too, because he, he is also funny. He's just like a fun character. Like he's just a, like he's a foil to to uh, yeah. Grant. You like that. He, and it's yeah. just like they make... And you like that. He calls out Hammond and everybody on their shit like constantly. Right. He's a little bit insufferable because he's like always knows everything. Like, yeah, this was all predicted. Exactly, but yeah, yeah I, I still like him. <laughs> um, so we find he has this like really badly broken angle, like compound fracture nasty stuff um they pick him up and they bring him to the car they, they're like i don't know if we should move him but then they decide to do it and you know they they, they take him back to the uh, visitor center arnold back at the control center is is with woo and they're talking about what nedry did and um arnold has figured out that he inserted this white rabbit trap door and through that he was able to disable all of the systems do you think White Rabbit had anything? Was that like an Alice in Wonderland thing, or like what's? Yeah, I think it's think probably an Alice in Wonder Wonderland reference. Yeah, like follow the White Rabbit. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I there's something there. That's probably why he chose that name. So uh, Muldoon comes to tell El- Ellie uh, that that Ma- that Malcolm is back, but that they basically what happened. They didn't find the Grant. Um, we also find that Harding is the best doctor on the island, the vet, and he's actually the person who's like seeing to um, to Malcolm's broken leg. And like once again, I say Harding, you know, the character in the movie that's just like a throwaway character almost, like is a little bit more um, front and center here, actually doing things. Yeah. Um, when we we actually get a little bit of backstory for him at one point, where like he was a, like a vet, and like this was one of the few cutting edge things you could do as a vet is to like come work on these new animals and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So next up, we get uh, Grant out in the park with with Lex. He's care. He's literally has to carry her because she's tired. Which like I don't know. I get it, but um, it's it, it, once again, it's like her being a burden on this. Um, they're still in the Rex paddock. They haven't got out of it yet. And oh, there's an interesting moment where there's um, Tim says something about like asking him if he's going to marry Ellie Sattler, uh, Dr. Sattler. Mm-hmm. And he says that she's his student. And it, like kind of like acts like they're not there's no romantic interest there. And right. I feel like I don't know if I believe him in this moment. And then also that made me think about the movie and, and our do we get confirmation that they're actually together in the movie? I, I think so. I think yeah. we do too, but it feels very like much late, like their relationship's yeah. a little un, ill-defined in the movie to me. Like it seems like maybe they're yeah, just like so kind of together, but not like officially yeah. or something. I don't know. I think by the end they are officially like I think as they leave and like she sees them with the kids or whatever, and I, I think that like by the end they're you're supposed to think that they are. Yeah. But in this, yeah, it's it's less defined, and she they actually say that she's set to marry to someone. marry someone else. So uh, very different. Seemingly, they don't have any sort of romantic relationship. Yeah. Or maybe there's something deeper there to dig into about like they're, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's an affair or something, but I, I don't really see it. Like, I, I feel like they're supposed to be what they say. Yeah. I, I, I Yeah, I get you there. So they. um. I want to say right yeah. here, actually, that um, I, I was like, I'm kind of disappointed with her character in in the book. Like there's she hasn't done. She hasn't gotten yeah. anything to do. No, she's been kind of kept away from all of the major action. And hasn't really done much. Uh, we'll see if that if that yeah. changes in the, in the next part here. So I, I feel like there's some important important stuff coming for her, but you never know, man. They also might give it a different character. She had to do some stuff with the berries, uh, with the Stegosaurus, yeah. or with the Triceratops, and it's like that was cool, but like she hasn't had much to do other than yeah, that. I agree. So they also climb over an electric fence here, and it's a very like low drama moment um <laughs> than what i was yeah. expecting they just climb over it, it's no big deal um no electric yeah and, and then yeah. they find a shed to hide in and fall asleep in there um arnold figures out how to reset the code 
and he starts resetting the power and the sensors and the motion sensors come back on and the, and the, 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 um, the, the fences start coming back on. They can't find the big T-Rex. They don't know where it is. Um, he, and he suggests maybe it's sleeping somewhere. Malcolm is awake and kind of making jokes. <laughs> um, he reveals that he was thrown by the Rex, but he feels like he was attacked half-heartedly. Um, and, and so th- there's a lot of, like, I mean, you might know the answer to this, I guess, and if I, I'm going to ask you if, if you do, then don't say, but it me- to me, it strongly feels like they're trying to set up something with the Rex where it's, like, not really that interested in attacking people. And I got the impression that maybe it was attacking the car more than the people. And then, yeah, the idea that it half-heartedly attacked him instead of, like, really trying to kill him. I don't know. Like, they, they're they setting it up, I think, to be different than the raptors that are said to be vicious, right? Like, the, the Rex doesn't seem vicious to me. I, I don't know the answer to that, actually, so I guess I can kind of comment okay. on it. I think that I think that they're definitely... I think that by the end of this story, you're supposed to fear but also, like, really love the T-Rex. Right. Uh, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to say like endings of the book or the movie, but they like, like it just, it just seems like it's a very important character w- within this story, and so I feel like for you to just like see it as an evil thing and to hate it would have been really easy. But I think it's cool that I mean I don't know that necessarily it was holding back when it attacked Malcolm or if it was just like he got lucky kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it does seem like that he's like Creighton is like threading in moments where you're supposed to be like, oh, it's not that bad. My theory is that it. Um, was interested because it heard noises. So um, she decided to look into the the first Jeep and was curious and was like trying to like see what was in there and like kind of stick its tongue in or whatever. And then while it was doing that, the glass cut its mouth. And then it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I just got attacked. And it started to see the cars as a threat. And then I feel mm-hmm. like when it, it like threw that car, that was why. And then I think when it attacked the other, like when it came at the other car, that was the reason too. It was it was it was more about the car than the people. Like because to me, the Rex doesn't seem to really doesn't seem to really think of the people as threats. At least in this moment. Yeah. Maybe because they're just too small, and that's the implication. Like like why would we like we we, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't care about like a squirrel. So maybe it's like why does why would a Rex even care? Like they're almost too small for it to worry about. I don't know. I don't know if that's true, yeah. but that's kind of the implication I'm getting at this point. So at this point, it's interesting because it's like they start getting everything ru- like back up and running. Like they start repairing fences. There's more people on the island, definitely in the book than there is in the movie. There's not the whole thing where like everybody left because of the storm. So there's like maintenance mm-hmm. people and they start repairing shit and, and getting the, the fences back up. Muldoon's kind of overseeing everything. They think that the Rex is in the sauropod paddock. Um, they still haven't found Grant in them. And and Hammond's kind of overseeing this thing where he's telling he's telling Muldoon that like, he wants to get the Rex back in the paddock, but he's like, we don't have any way we can do that because um, our darts are not going to affect this thing. They don't have enough like power. And my one weapon was my missile launcher, and it's missing. Although I don't know how a <laughs> missile launcher is going to help you get a Rex back into its paddock. That's probably just going to blow the fuck out of it. <laughs> right. But yeah, basically he says like they're powerless to do anything about this Rex, which is also kind of cool. It's like this like unsolvable force loose in the park and they just can't do anything about it so grant wakes up in the shed and um there's a baby triceratops that's super cute and has been named ralph by lex and they're like petting it and uh she even jokes maybe i could ride him um and then it makes little cute squeaks and stuff and um this moment is basically brought into jurassic world right isn't this like a thing where there's like a petting zoo and we see kids riding triceratops and everything Right, yeah, that takes that happens in the in Jurassic World. 
So it's just another cool moment where it's like they've mined this book for something. I don't know. I give them props for that, right? They go outside to set off the motion sensors because they want to get found. And um, this is where they see the huge dragonfly, which we talked about. Then they hear this roar, um, and that's kind of like ominous, right? And then Arnold still can't fix the phones, and he says, we got to do this full reset, and only then will they maybe come back. Gennaro storms in at this point and says, Malcolm's getting worse. He needs a doctor. He has to get, an, he has to get a helicopter to get him off the island. And so, okay, I guess that's going to happen. Um, and then they do the full reset. While they're doing that, he notices they notice on the security that the duck-billed dinosaurs are getting really agitated, and they realize that something's about to go down. And sure enough, their Rex bursts out, we see through Grant's eyes, and attacks these hadrosaurs. They're able to restore power. All systems are brought back on. And the but the duckbill stampede and uh, Grant and them have to hide. Um, and so they climb back up into a tree, actually, to get out of the way of it. Um, so in, uh, in, in, in this moment, I think it's the, the bigger ones, the long neck, the, the brontosaurus types. Um, one of them comes over and starts feeding on the tree they're hiding in. Um, right, and yeah. this is a confirmation for Grant about his motion sight. And this is what I was talking about, where it's more than just the. The T-Rex, because he he finds that it doesn't see them unless they make a noise, and then other, and then all of a sudden it gets startled, but it doesn't see them at all when they're when they're still. So this is where he gets his like, confirms his theory. Pretty convenient to know the one weakness of all the dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, actually, I want to I want to go back to the the answer that I had at the end of the last episode. I think I would go to Jurassic Park because <laughs> you know the weakness. Because <laughs> apparently you could just stand still and you'd be fine. <laughs> So Tim suggests something about like taking a raft and Grant's like, oh, that's a good idea. So they go to find this raft storage Um, in the raft storage. They find a pistol with six darts. So Grant takes that and they go to find this raft and they hear these weird sounds. And then they realize that the T-Rex is like sleeping nearby. Um, And it's like, I don't know. It's kind of cool how it's like scratching itself with its leg like a dog. Like it's like it's very like dog like in this moment. Which, I don't know, Rex always makes me think of a dog. Like, you know, like, that's a classic name for a dog, so I get that kind of association. Mm-hmm. They they put on these life vests, and they get in this raft, and the sound of the raft inflating doesn't wake, doesn't wake up the Rex. It, like, shifts and almost does. Um, but it doesn't wake up from that, and they get into the lagoon and the raft, and then um, Lex starts coughing out of nowhere, and that's what wakes the, re- the Rex up. And once again, mm-hmm. we see her just, like, being a huge burden. <laughs> It just, they, it could have, why couldn't they have just given it to like Tim to do? Or it could have know? been the raft, the sound of the raft inflating could have woken him up and then they could have jumped in the river. It is weird that they just had just feel like her. it makes her character pretty, it's rough, you know, it's not, it's, it's just like they didn't really give her much to do other than be a burden. But I will say that I did like that Crichton said that like when she coughed it, it sounded to Tim like a gunshot. Yeah. On the river. Cause like if you're, yeah. if, like if you're on water and then a loud noise happens, it kind of like. Yeah, just flies across the water, and I—I I don't know. It was pretty. Well, I felt right. like I could see that happening. Yeah. So, oh, and that's also really cool because she's like, "It's okay, it can't swim." And then Tim's like, "What are you talking yeah. about?" And sure enough, yeah. the Rex gets up and just like walks into the water. And man, that was—that's co- a really cool. This is a cool scene, right? This is something we don't get in the movie, and we needed this. We get to see yeah. a swimming T Rex, and he looks like the biggest crocodile in the world. Uh, Grant notices. And it comes up and it actually tries comes up underneath a raft at one point, which like almost knocks them off. And then it tries to bite, but they just barely misses. And then um, they go to like a deeper part and it goes underwater, but then comes back up. And it's and, you know, it's it's a really like cinematic kind of cool moment. Grant shoots, fires a, a, a dart at it, but it doesn't seem to have any effect. 
And right then, they basically get saved because the juvenile Rex shows up to um, feed on this kill that the, 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 the big Rex was sleeping by. And then when he noticed, like the big Rex notices, oh shit, that, that kid's coming to eat my food. <laughs> and so he goes back yeah. to like scare him off and then abandons following them, chasing them. And uh, so they escape in the raft. And then, uh, yeah, and then Grant falls asleep. And that's the end of this section. So I find it weird that they're able to fall asleep so easily. So this is something I've read, um, which I actually think is a really cool detail. When I was in college, uh, my undergrad, I had to research um, one of my um, assignments for a class was to research a primary account from a soldier who was in some sort of battle and his account about that battle. And then we were going to write a poem about it. Point being, I I read this like real account of this guy who um, I think it was World War One was in the trenches and um, he was talking about how like there was bombs coming down and he had to like jump into this trench and wait out the bombs and they were just exploding all around him and then he fell asleep. And um, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. You could like fall asleep in the middle of that. But I guess what happens is your body when you're like in really, really high stressful moments and all those like um, crazy adrenaline rushes and stuff go on that when they when they come off, you like crash and you crash hard. And people often mm-hmm. do fall asleep in these like really weird like in like literally on the battlefield. People like will fall asleep sometimes. Yeah. And so uh, to me, that kind of fits this moment of like a really high stress situation. And it's like your body's just been going crazy and then you get out of it. and All of a sudden you just like can't even help it. And you just fall asleep. I want to know if it's like uh, like a fall asleep or like a pass out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somewhere between the two. But I mean, like your, your body needs rest, I think is what it is too. your body's like, I need right. to, it's I like need a sensory to, overload. Yeah. yeah. So you just can't take it. Your body's like, I, that's enough. And then like, yeah, once you get to a safe yeah, spot, y- yeah. I, I can see that. I didn't know that it was like, I, I thought it was something that was kind of played up by, you know, movies and, and stories, but that's cool that you like, that you found a real account of that. Yeah. It just, you just made me think of that because that was something that I, I remember with like struck me. And then I, you know, I included that in the poem. I ended up writing like the poem mm-hmm. ended with the guy falling asleep on the battlefield. And cause I just thought that was a really interesting detail. It's awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I do like this scene. And a second ago, I was like, oh, it would have been cool to see it in the movie. But ultimately, like, I, I know why it wasn't in the movie. But, I mean, it feels very Jaws, right? Like, like it's attacking from underneath at one point. It does, and stuff too. Right. And, like, it feels like Spielberg could have done something cool Well, also, I feel um, like it has to be budgetary. Like, this is a tough scene to pull yeah, off. Yeah. But I like the scene a lot. It was cool. It was a, and it was a cool way to end our coverage here. That was a great moment to stop at. Because they're, they're floating down the this like river or whatever it is here uh towards the hotel yeah, it's a good stopping point for this middle section right and then um next week we know like we got to be getting some some raptor stuff <laughs> like all the raptor stuff that they've been building up to oh yeah it's got to be getting saved for the third act and we know that from the movies yeah. but i assume that's also true in the book so yeah man i'm super excited um i guess um fifth sixth and seventh iterations are this are going to be there you know which finishes out the book um, and that's going to be our next episode. And then um, the week after that, we're going to have the movie episode, which I'm dying to get to because, like, man, yeah. I'm just going to be viewing this movie in a whole new light now after reading this book, right? Yeah, I can't wait to get to the movie, man. I've been, I like, I, I kind of struggle sometimes with with not being able to watch the movie when we're covering this stuff. And like, obviously, I had trouble last week with stopping the reading and stuff. So it's just like taking so much self control to not watch the movie, <laughs> not go further in the book. And it's just hey, it'll like, just make it but that it's much fun. Sweeter you know what I mean? It, it though, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. It makes it it makes it that much better for the weight. All right, man. So earlier you mentioned that you had a plan for how you would get 
from I guess the T Rex paddock back to the visitor center. You had you had some sort of like plan how you'd get through the park, and I want to know what that plan looks like. Uh, do, you, do you have something you prepared for me? Yeah, man, I, I've got a plan. I, I think it's gonna work really well. But the thing is, like, I have the you know hindsight's twenty twenty, and I have all the hindsight <laughs> right now. I know I know how everybody ends up, but this is my plan. I have a really interesting plan. I think. Okay, cool. I, I'm I'm really excited to hear that. Um, let's save that for the very end. Cool, yeah. Before we go, we wanted to thank one of our patrons. This week, we're thanking Barbara M. She is one of our $10 patrons, and, and it means so much that you would support us in this way. So thank you. Yeah, big shout out to her. Um, I mean, $10, wow. Um, that's a huge help to us. And uh, yeah, you can find that patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Find out more, find out how to become a donor. Um, hey, we also just wanted to say you can find us on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so pretty all the big ones, at Film on all of those. Also, you can send us feedback to our Gmail, which is inktofilm at gmail.com if you want to react or have any questions or anything like that, and we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you wanted to leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, we would really appreciate that. It helps to get get the word out there for the podcast and and help us you know grow. Also, we want to say thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. You ready for this final thing? I want to know, what's your plan? I'm going to react to it. I'm going to give it to you straight, whether or not I, I buy it. Okay. Okay. So listen, the dinosaurs, from what we know now, the dinosaurs see movement, right? Right. Um, and like, for whatever reason, the first thing that popped in my head, and this has nothing to do with movement first, but this is my first plan, just okay. in case. I'm going to get real muddy and I'm going to go straight predator status. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to get Arnie and the predator. I'm going to cover myself in, in mud. Okay. Well, you're avoiding the predator now. I'm not sure how that's helping yes. you. In the- <laughs> so, and then I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to be in, extremely cautious because what I keep, what we keep seeing is that these people will be like, oh, there's leeches. I'm going to run away. Oh, there's this. I'm going to run out into the open. So what you need to cover do is find yourself a very- with leeches. Cover yourself with leeches. <laughs> Just and then uh, w- what you need to do is is very, very slowly crawl all the way back. Okay. So become one with nature. Just dig into the dirt and the leaves so and stuff. Pull, and, and pull, move. Go full, full earthworm. What I'm thinking is like on your back because a lot of people would think to crawl <laughs> on your stomach. But if you go on your back, you have that 360 view. Okay. You can kind of look wherever you need to look. Other so it'll, than, take you a, it'll take you a month to get there. but Yes, I but see. you'll make it. You'll make it. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say, just go very slowly. And as soon as you see any dinosaurs, freeze and you'll well, be fine until they leave. <laughs> that's most of it. But I just want to be I just want to be so sure. Like, I just want to be, I, I mean, I guess it'd be easy for me to get stepped on by a T-Rex or something, but. Yeah, yeah. make sure you stay to the to the side. You know what I mean? Stay to the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're not in the I mean, main I feel like I feel like most people have seen Avengers Infinity War at this point. Uh, so I'm just going to say it. Like, I just think Drax's theory of like moving so slowly that you're, <laughs> it's imperceivable is, is what I would do. I'm just moving very slowly. Yeah, that theory is confirmed by this book. <laughs> All right, man. I like it. I like it. Sounds good. Uh, it's a little bit slow, but slow and steady. You know, they, you know what they say. Uh, slow and steady. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we will see you guys next week uh, when we come back for the finish out this book. We'll have our wrap up thoughts and react to the end of it and finally get into some Raptor stuff. Um, I'm excited for that. And I hope you join us. Until then, I'm Luke. And I'm James. Bye. <laughs>